You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. So, uh, we're in Judges chapter 2. Um, if you're kind of visiting this morning, glad you guys are here. Uh, we kind of work through books of the Bible typically, and so we're in a book called Judges. It's the seventh book in the Bible, and uh, we're going to be working through that through about, through about the month of June. There's a movie that came out. Back in 1993, I know some of you weren't alive then, but that's okay. Uh, and it really, it kind of informed the world of really one of the most important holidays of American culture, which is Groundhog Day, okay? And so, and, and if, you're, if you're from the South, Groundhog Day is nothing because it's always warm. But when you live in the North, when February 2nd comes around, you do not want Puxatani Phil to see his shadow because you do not want six more weeks of winter, now, if you're from the South, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But if you're from the North, this is a real deal. I mean, it means something to us. We didn't want snow, right? And so this movie came out in 1993, Bill Murray's Weatherman. And if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it. But it's been like 25 years, so it's too late anyway. Um, where he, he basically is this kind of a, he's really a jerk. But he lives in a time loop, right? He wakes up every morning at 6 a.m. and Sonny and Cher singing, I got you, babe, I got you, you know, and it's the same thing over. And he just lives in that cycle for we don't know how long, right? Until he, you know, he learns to play the piano and speak French and be an ice carver, and then he falls in love, and, and then he gets out of the time loop, and the movie's over, okay? But that, that idea of over and over and over again, that Groundhog Day, we are going to see that lived out in the book of Judges, where they are going to go through this Groundhog Day of over and over. And just when you think they're about to get out of the time loop, they're right back in it, right? It's this spiritual Groundhog Day. And I think that if we're honest this morning, which is what we want to be, right? If we're honest this morning, we will see that this same cycle that they jump on and kind of go around that we, to some degree or another, are on that same cycle, somewhere. Maybe this degree, maybe this degree, but we constantly, second verse, same as first. I'm Henry VIII, I am, right? I mean, you know, we sing it all, and we just keep going around and around, and it's like, are we ever gonna get off this, this spiritual groundhog day? And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look through, chapter two really is a summary of the entire book. We're just going to see this cycle lived out in their lives. And the goal here for us is for us to identify where, where are we at and to, if, if we find ourselves anywhere, just to stop it. To, to, in the words of Barney Fife, to, to nip it in the bud, right? To, to get back to the beginning of where this thing started, right? To, to get off this, this spiritual groundhog day that we're constantly going through, right? So we're in Judges chapter two. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'll have some of them on the, the screen um, I, I know for some of you have been here, this is our third week in the book of Judges, and you're like, so are we at? It's just like that scene in like Jurassic Park, the original one. I know I'm like 90s movie guys right now, but, but Jeff Daniels like, are you actually going to have dinosaurs on your dinosaur tour? Right? Are you actually going to have judges in your book of Judges? We will get to some judges next week. All right? We start some judges next week, but the first two chapters really set up the book for why there is a need for judges. And in God's ideal plan, there would be no need for deliverance because the people would just do what he said. It would be great. They wouldn't fall into these issues. But because they do, they, and they do because we saw in chapter one, what happened? They compromised. They didn't obey fully. 
right? That was it. And then last week we saw there's another generation that was brought up that did not know the Lord or his works. So you have this setup for this cycle of, and you're going around and around and around and around and around where, where they have to have deliverers. And this is the cycle we're going to see today, right? And so here's kind of where it is. Four S's for you to kind of remember, not perfect words, but at least it gives you an idea. Where they're going to fall into sin, there's going to be adultery. Uh, and idolatry, and God is going to bring them into servitude. They're going to become slaves and, 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 and uh, servants in their own land that, that they were supposed to be blessed with. They eventually, after a certain time, cry out to God in their sorrow, and they say, help, help us and rescue us, and he raises up a judge, and he saves them, and they do it over and over and over, and there's a time of peace, and as soon as that judge dies, boom, right? Second verse, same as the first. And that's where some of us are. And, and I don't have, if you're looking for five points to do X, and here's three principles on why, don't got that for you today. I just want to look at this cycle, see how it kind of lays on our life, and just deal with it. Deal with it together. All right? So let's jump into our passage. Chapter 2, verse 11. So the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt... All right? And they went after other gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So you have this opening. We kind of looked at it last week a little bit. And what he does here, he starts off, he says, the people of Israel did what was evil. And literally the Hebrew says they did the evil. Right? It's articular. He's bringing, he's highlighting they did the evil. And the way he arranges his material, he uses a literary device actually called a chiasmus. Since all the, all the English teacher geeks in the room are like, yes, and you know, everyone's like, what? But what he does is he structures the text to highlight something, what, 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 what's going on here. And he uses this A, B, C, B, A formula. I actually made a slide for it. I was so proud of it, but the power is out first service. I'm gonna use it this service because it took me forever. All right, so you have this, this structure where there is your A, C, B, B, and in a chiasmus, the middle idea is the most important when there is a middle, right? And so in verse 11b, you see they serve the bales. And verse 13b, he served the bales. And verse 12a, he abandoned the Lord, they abandoned the Lord. And verse 13a, they abandoned the Lord. See how the re repetition? And it all points to this, this section in the middle, that they went after other gods, that they bowed down to other gods. And he's trying to highlight it, put it in kind of a highlighter because of all that God, after all God had done, after all the deliverance, all the provision for all this time, and they went and bowed of Baal and Ashtaroth. And you're like, what is that? Right? What is, let me give you a little kind of Baal theology, okay? Because I know we hear that name. You grew up in a church like Baal and you just think of a statue. Okay, there is a statue for Baal. Baal typically was pictured as a, as a man with like a bull's head, right? And he was supposed to be the god of the ch son of the chief god, and there's all different bales and all these things. But the idea is he was the storm god. He was the fertility god. He was the, the god of the crops. And, and they acted out what we, we would call a sympathetic worship. So the way you would worship Baal would be you would have to somehow coerce him to do his thing. And so when you live in an agrarian society, when there's no Walmart, Chick-fil-A, Whole Foods, it's important that the crops grow. And so in order for you to get the crops to grow, you need Baal to show up. And so what you had to do is ultimately, Baal, of course, the god of fertility, had a girlfriend, and her name was Ashtaroth. 
right? And your, you, your goal would be for you to get Baal and Ashtaroth to have a date night, all right? And, 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 and it led to where it would lead, right? But if you could get Baal and Ashtaroth to have a date night, then they would bless the land, Right? So that was the goal. And the way you would get Baal and Ashtaroth to have a date night is you would go up to the temple where there would be temple prostitutes. And you would join yourself to a temple prostitute. And if enough people could do that, we can get Baal and Ashtaroth to go on a date night and then there's fertility. That was worship. That's how it worked. Right? And if it got really bad, maybe there's a famine, maybe the crops haven't been good. Well, that means Baal must be mad. So you might have to do a little extra. So you might have to sacrifice your child. And so you often see statues of Baal with like a baby in its arms, right? And so you're talk, talk about wickedness on a scale that we can't fathom. They'd have priests who would cut themselves and do all sorts of chanting and all sorts of weird things, right? Everything that you would think is opposite of the God of Israel, that's Baal, right? Everything, right? And so it's the evil because that is not who God is. Ours is not a God, who needs to be coerced? Right? Now, I understand that here's what, we, here's what we do think, right? We do think, well, if I do my quiet time, read my Bible, pray for every meal, give a little money off the top, maybe go to a community group, if I do all that, then God will make everything go smooth, right? That is called Baal worship. We call it Southern Christianity but it's really Baal worship because what it is is if I do my part, I've done my part, Baal, now you do your part, right? That's Baal worship, right? And ours is, yo, ours is not a God who needs to be coerced. Does he need to be coerced to bless his people? He was faithful when they were unfaithful. Ours is not a God who says, you need to appease me by offering your kids. Ours is a God who appeases himself by offering his own son. He completely different character. So this is why it's the evil. This is why he is so offended. And what's worse is it's not that they just said, oh, we'll take, we'll, we'll, we'll throw Yahweh, the covenant name of Israel for their God. We'll, we'll throw Yahweh out. No, they would say, oh, we'll take God, but we'll also take Baal. So Saturday, Sabbath, we'll go to synagogue, we'll go to temple, we'll do the temple thing. We'll offer to, we'll offer to Yahweh. But on Wednesday, we'll go to Baal. Because after all, we want to cover all our bases, you know? We want to make sure everything, just in case... And we don't want to make anybody, you know, upset, right? So we got Baal, we got, we'll just combine it all. Which, by the way, Satan's fine with. But God is not, right? I mean, the first commandment of the Big Ten, you shall have no other gods before me. Kind of a big one. Second one, you shall make no graven image. God will not share his glory with another, right? And it's easy for us living in 2000, it's 19, 19 now, Right? And we, oh, silly Israelites, how dumb can you be? Bowing down, bowing down to a fertility God, right? It's easy for us to, to say all that. Here's the thing, we do the exact same thing. Now, we may not bow down to a pole made to Asherah, but you know what? We may bow down to the God of hookup, Tinder, friends with benefits, you know, findafarmer.com, whatever. <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, farmer dating, whatever that website is. All right, maybe it's not an astronaut pole, but it's farmer dating. We may not offer our children on an offer to bail, but you know what we'll do? We'll sacrifice our family so we can work 60, 70 hours every week and, and go up the ladder. Let someone else raise them. We do the same thing. We have our Sunday morning Jesus, right? 
Okay, it's, it's 10.45, put on the Jesus face. For some of you, it's 10.58, put on the Jesus face, whatever. But you, you do know the service starts at 10.45. I'm just reminding you, not 11. Just so you, I'm just telling you. So, okay, just, you know, if you're new, I get it, but, you know. 10.45. Anyway, some of you have your 10.45 Jesus face, and then you have your Monday morning God, where you find all your identity and all your security and all your, you know, this is what really matters. Or maybe you have your Friday night God, because I'm going buck wild down on River Street, and, you know, no one sees me that matters. No one in the Jesus box sees me. So we do the same thing. I do the same thing. We all do the same thing. And all it is, is Baal worship, right? We divide up our life. I don't know if I want Jesus to be the king of my relationship with him. I don't know if I want Jesus to be the king of my money. I don't know if I want Jesus to be the king of the way I talk. I don't know if I want Jesus to be the king of my social media, of my Snapchat, my Instagram, right? We do the same thing, divide up our life. And, what, and, the, and the nature of worship is this, especially sympathetic worship. Whatever your God is, you will sacrifice to that God and you will sacrifice for that God, whatever it is. So if your God is your body, right? Bad God. But if your God is your body, you're like, you, will, you wanna look a certain way, you wanna go from the one pack to the six pack or the nine pack like me, whatever, right? But, but that's your God. You will sacrifice to that God and for that God. You'll sacrifice to it by giving it money because you'll say, okay, we have to only eat at Whole Foods because that's where healthy people go. That's wrong, all right? You can eat at Chick-fil-A too. But you'll sacrifice money. You'll put gym. You're gonna buy all these products. You're gonna, be, you're gonna throw money. You're gonna sacrifice time because it's not gonna be enough to just work out 30 minutes four times a week. You gotta work out hours and hours and hours and hours to be this way. And look, I'm not anti-health. I'm not anti-eating healthy. I'm anti-vegetables, but I'm not anti-eating healthy. I am anti, not anti-exercise. I think Christians ought to be the most healthiest, taking care of their bodies people around because we understand that this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I am not anti all those things. I think some of y'all needs to get in the gym, right? Okay. But if that's your God, you will sacrifice to that God and for that God. And that becomes the most important thing. And what's going to happen when you're 72 and the one and the six pack is drooping, you're going to be miserable because your God has let you down and your God will eventually die. See, you'll sacrifice to it or for it. If God is if your God is to get married and that's the most important thing to you, I want to get married, you might sacrifice your purity because if I'm going to keep this guy, I'm going to keep this girl, I got to compromise, right? And it's more important for me to be married than to be alone or you might lower your standards. He might be a knucklehead, but you're like, well, it's better to be with knucklehead than with nobody, right? You'll do things maybe you wouldn't normally do if that's the most important thing. If it's to be liked or be popular, you may dress in a certain way. You may act in a certain way. You may do things. You may not say things to a friend because you're scared of what they may think. And you need to say things to that friend because it's your God to be liked. Maybe it's a certain lifestyle. Got to have this car, this, 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 this. Okay, you're going to work extra time and you're going to sacrifice that God's given you these certain abilities and gifts to serve the body. But I don't have time because I got to pay for my fifth car. And I needed that fifth bedroom and that third boat. So I can't actually be with the people of God on Sunday, sorry. There's an opportunity for me to make a lot of money, even though I already have a lot of money. That's your God, you'll sacrifice to it, you'll sacrifice for it. It could be ministry, ministry could be your God. Anything good that God has given to enjoy, 
can be a God, but the problem is we turn it into too, too much of a thing. It's not, it's not that the people of God often will, will just abandon God altogether. They'll just say, oh, I can worship Jesus and my girlfriend. I can worship Jesus and my hobby. I can worship Jesus and my money, right? And the nature of worship is you become what you worship. It's just the way it is. Right? And that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to become what we worship. We worship Jesus. We're supposed to become like Jesus. That's the goal. The Israelites had been worshiping Baal, so they are becoming like Baal, and it's their first step into this Groundhog Day sin. Right? Sin. He said, how, do we, how can we, just outside this kind of sermon, how do we stop that? Well, you're sinful, so it's constantly a battle. But I would say this. We, we talk about this very simply. We are constantly in this battle. Our, our weapons are, are, are the church and the word of God. Community and Bible, that's our strategy. You need people to walk in your life with, and you need scripture. I think some of us are so deceived and we're so easily kind of entangled. The, the, the enemy is just he's trying to get your affections and you're constantly bombarded with anything that will steal your affection away from God. It's constantly happening. And the only way, church, that we can battle this is to renew our mind with scripture. It's, it's just, it's to renew our mind. Romans 12, 2. It says, don't be conformed to this world or, or squeezed by this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. You gotta renew your mind with truth because you're seeing so many lies. And some of us are just so apathetic to the Bible. This, we, just, we just don't care or we just don't know. Right? We're not focused on what God has said. And the, it's the scripture that helps keep us off this cycle. And this is why we keep saying a couple weeks ago, when Talab was like, hey man, just get into the word, frequency, frequency, just a couple minutes a day maybe, and then build that up from there. Right? We did. I would love if all 13, 1400 of the people that sit in this room on a Sunday morning, if we all were spending up two or three days a week, maybe more, just reading scripture, right? Just, you're like, and like, maybe you're like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I always jump into Ezekiel. I don't get Ezekiel. I don't get Ezekiel either. So stay out of Ezekiel. I mean... It's not that it's not the Bible, it is, but it's just hard. So jump into the Gospel of Mark. And if you're like, I don't know how to read my Bible, we're going to, in a couple weeks, Clint is going to teach a class, learning how to read your Bible. It's going to be a one-shot deal, Sunday evening, boom. Come learn how to read your Bible. Love for you to be in that. Get into a community group with a bunch of folks that are going to read, keep, keep each other. Hey, you reading this week? Cool. Right? That's what we want to be. The psalmist says, how can a young man, he asks a question, how can a young man or woman keep his way pure? Great question. And then he answers it, guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin. How do we get, how do we stop that sin right off the bat? Hey, we're guarding our hearts with the word of God. We're renewing our minds with scripture, right? That's what we want to be, right? It helps us get off the, the crazy cycle, the groundhog day, right? Or even from getting on groundhog day. Let's continue. Verse 14. So the anger of the Lord is kindled against them. That word so, that's consequences. Boom. They did this, so the anger of the Lord kindled against them. He gave them over to plunderers and plundered them. He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned, as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Hey, this is hard. Some of you have never heard the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And, and some of you have a big problem with the fact that God might have gotten angry here. That's not the God I know of the Bible. It actually is. 
right? It says it right here, right? That the anger of the Lord, and we, we don't, you know, we're like Oprah. We don't like a, I don't like the idea of a jealous God. Here's what you gotta understand. God's overarching characteristic is his holiness. And in his holiness, he cannot exist with, with darkness. Darkness and light cannot have fellowship. His, his anger here is not opposed to his love. It's actually an expression of it. Because Israel, and this is the picture you see in the Old Testament and in the New, Israel was seen as his bride. The church is his bride. And his bride had gone out in verse 17, and this is Bible, acted like a whore. Look at verse 17. It says it. They whored themselves. That's the word. Okay, so what husband whose wife and goes out and becomes a prostitute is like, that's a great career for you. Right? I, that, that's not what this husband does. This faithful, loving, joyful husband and there's a whole book of the Bible on this, by the way, the book of Hosea. You can read all about it, where Hosea's wife goes off and she becomes a prostitute, and he goes and he has to buy his wife back to himself, and God uses that as an image of what he's done for Israel. He's, what husband is not going to be angry at that? That's, that's what the anger of God is here. It's the, the anger of a rejected lover who's been jilted by his spouse. But the beauty of this God is his love is that of a forgiving husband who welcomes her back. And for us in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will never, ever be an object of the wrath of God. Do you realize that? That God's wrath has been satisfied, that blazing fire of God's wrath and his holiness towards sin, because he has to, because he's holy and just, was, was poured out on Jesus. Right? And so it was satisfied. That's a, a fancy theological word, propitiation, the, the, the wrath of God satisfied. Right? So we don't have to fear that. That's, that's the beauty of the cross, that Jesus took our place. He took the wrath of his father on himself. So now we experience love. But that doesn't mean that God is just like, oh, good, go, go live the way you want. The, the Lord disciplines them who he loves. Like me as a dad, if my kid comes up to your kid and kicks him and is like, Phew. right? And, and you come to me and say, hey, Fowler, your kids are beating my kids up, which is probably unlikely because my kids are the smallest kids in their class, but whatever. If your kid gets beat up by my kid, woo, but whatever, so. But... If, if you came to me and said, hey, Fowler, your kids are beating up my kids, and I said, eh, no biggie, that's what kids do, you'd be like, you're a bad dad. I'd be like, you're right, All right? If I didn't say, no, I will deal with that, that's my kid, I'm not gonna have that. I, would, I wouldn't be a good father. God the Father is a good father, and he disciplines those who he loves, and so he brings discipline to Israel, and his goal is so that they'll learn and come back to him, but he brings them into, what these verses say, servitude. They become slaves in their own land. Right? The irony is that the very people they, the, of the gods they want to choose are the ones who enslave them. If ever a picture of the truth that an idol leads to slavery is, is in the Bible, it's right here. Right? That their, their sin leads to, to slavery. And you would you'd think that they would learn. I mean, you go back to verse 15. It says, whenever they marched out, and it's, what stood out to me here is, is they keep marching out. So they go out, they lose. They go out, they lose. They go out, they lose. Whenever they march, and they keep going out. You'd think at some point they would be like, something wrong. We keep losing. We're like the Falcons. I don't know what's going on here. Right? Sorry. I mean, you'd think they would, they would check and say, like, we used to win. What's, what's different? My dog, I've told you about Milton and our adventures with Milton. I'll write a book one day. But Milton hates golf carts. 
And so when I walk outside and I hear one coming, I have to, I have to be like Dr. Phil. I have to like sit him down. I'm like, it's okay. You'll be okay. Don't chase the golf cart. Because what happens if, I, if one catches me off guard, and it does sometimes, I'll be on the leash, or if my kids, he will literally turn into Cujo. And he's like, and he's trying to pull you, and he's strong as an ox. And so now I just stand there now if, if that happens, and I just hold the leash, and he literally will choke himself. And he'll be all trying to get in. He'll look back at me and be angry. Eh, what's wrong with you? Why don't you let me go and get this golf cart? And then he turns back around and he, until he's coughing. And I'm like, are you an idiot? <laughs> You're doing this. I'm standing here. This is all you. At some point, are you going to realize you are choking yourself? Right? You are enslaved to the golf cart. And some of us, that's us. We're pulling and we're choking ourselves and we look back like, God, this is your fault. And we don't realize your servitude is because of you and not because of God. It's, it's Groundhog Day. It's doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And here's what we do. We do with any. They say, okay, we'll go this way. Well, we'll try something new this time. We'll go this way. We'll go this way. We'll go, we're gonna go out this way. We're gonna, and, and we keep seeing defeat. And they think just by changing, something's gonna happen. It's the same thing we do. So we take a job. We think it's gonna be great. The job's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be the perfect job. Six months later, eh, not satisfied. Boom, gone. I'll try a different job. I'll try a different job. Try a different career. I'll try a different relationship. I need a different car. This car's not enough. This vacation will be the, this will be, oh, and we just keep going from thing to thing, thinking, that's going to be it finally, and then, and then we'll be satisfied, and we're choking ourselves. And, and let me talk to the, let me briefly talk to the, those in the room who would be in the millennial, and this is not a slam on you, so just, just so you know, but you, you I, want need to, I want to help you. You have been told a lie. You've been told a lie that you can find a job. You're going to one day just, you know, you do something you love, and you'll never work another day in your life. Who, what's the, who's the idiot that said that thing? Uh, yeah, I have a job I love, and it's work. There is no job that you're going to get one day and be like, I just, I can't, I'll do this for free. I'll just go to work for free. And maybe if you win like the, the, the mega bucks or something, you do that. But work is work. Since Genesis chapter three, it's hard. Right? And the purpose of work is not so that you can be the happiest person in the world. The purpose of work is so that you can live under a roof and eat. And if, if, if you want to ask, is my job fulfilling? Are you living indoors? And do you eat? It's fulfilling its purpose. Now, one day when Jesus comes back and we go into an eternal kingdom and you're working every day, because we're not going to just be sitting around in clouds playing harps, you will be working. Then it will be absolutely, completely satisfying whatever we're doing. But right now, work stinks. A lot of times, but that's fine. Don't think, and the reason I tell you this is because what I see in younger folks is you get a job and six months later you get another job and seven months later you're in another job and, you, and by 26 you've had 16 different jobs and you really don't know how to do anything but make a latte and cut grass. <laughs> and, and you need to know you're never gonna find that job that's like, oh, it's fulfilling. It might be fulfilling to work hard. It should be because we do all things for the glory of God. But you're never going to find something that, that fits the, the emptiness in your soul. That's, that's saved for Jesus. And so we can't keep running in Groundhog Day here. New relationship, new this, new this. 
Here's big picture idea. Sin leads to bondage. If you get nothing else, get that. It promises freedom, and it's fun for a season. It is. But it leads to slavery. It just does. You ever, for those of you who are a little older, you've seen Pinocchio, right? You know, you know, if you haven't seen Pinocchio, come on, dude, it's America, right? But Pinocchio, it starts off, him and his boys are partying and smoking cigars and drinking whatever. It's probably soda pop, but you know. And, and what ends up happening? They turn into donkeys, right? They turn into donkeys and they end up servants. And he ends up in a whale. Message of the story, sin leads to you being a donkey and ended up in a whale, right? The big nose. No, but that's the picture. It promises fun and freedom. And it is fun. No one's denying sin is fun for a season. It's just the piper has to be paid on the other side. Right? Right? And so it leads to slavery. It leads to servitude. And the only way out, here it is, is point three on the, on the cycle. Sorrow. And sorrow is not a great word, I know, but I needed an S. Right? A better word is repentance. Actually, it's a synonym. But the idea coming from verses 16 and 17, so the Lord raises up judges, verse 17, they don't listen to their judges. But notice at the end uh, of, of verse, uh, eight, what is it, at verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. The idea, what we're gonna see is they're gonna be servants for a long time, sometimes 40 years. Imagine that, not realizing you're choking yourself for 40 years and finally waking up one day. I mean, some of you aren't even 40 years old. I'm 44-ish and almost 45. It's my whole life in bondage because of our sin. And finally they wake up and they cry out to God, God, help, save us. And he moves and he saves them, right? That's the only way to end Groundhog Day is to say, is to wake up and realize I'm choking myself. I can't get out of this. I need help. There is no future for me in this. I need, I need it, as Pastor Lee said a couple of months ago, I need a turning point. I need to repent. That's what repentance is. It's a 180. It's turning around. Ideally, we do this when we're at point one, at sin, right? Before we get to the servitude. But sometimes it takes a little servitude to get us to repentance, right? But here's the thing. I don't know how far down the road you are with whatever, you might think, oh, I'm too far gone, man. I'm a mess. I've been a train wreck for 40 years. Israel is going to be slaves for 40 years before they wake up. It's never too late. But I would say today is the day. Because if that little flirting relationship right now with that person at work, in two years ain't going to be flirting no more. Better deal with it now. That little once or two night a week, too many glasses of wine in, in three or four years is going to be an addiction that you're going to be train wrecking your, your marriage. I'm just telling you. This, that, just a couple hundred extra dollars a month in the credit card now is going to be several thousand at 20% interest in five years. I'm just telling you. Deal with it now, right? Repentance. It's going to take some humility, but that's, that's where it starts. Here, here's where Spurgeon, I love how Spurgeon de defines repentance. He says it's this discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, and a resolution to forsake it. It's not just I'm sorry. It's a turning point. It's a turning around. It is in fact a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he loved. That is repentance. That is how we get off Groundhog Day. It's what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess 
our sins. And that word confess is homo legeo, homo same legeo, to say. We say the same thing as God. We say about sin what God says. If we confess, he is faithful, that means he'll always do it, and he is just, that means he's the only one that can do it, to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's repentance, right? That's how we get off Groundhog Day. And here's what you need to get. This is hard now, this is the hard part. Repentance often means a significant change of action. So if your issue is purity, right, and that's a lot of issue in our, in our congregation, then that means we might need to, it's not just about putting a filter on the computer, that's good. It might mean for some of you, I'm going to the flip phone, baby. I'm going to the razor, or I'm off the internet completely because I can't handle it. It might mean I got four or five guys, four or five gals that are, that are in my life speaking truth constantly. It might mean because me and this, this person over here, we cannot stay pure, that I'm gonna have to break that relationship off for a season. It definitely means if you're living together and not married, not if you know, you're just buddies, you mean my buddy are living together, what you, no. If you're dating and you're living together, it definitely means you, you need to be not. We're being pure for how long, right? I know it's convenient and all these things, but that's what repentance looks like. It's a dramatic change. Maybe social media is your deal and you're spending hours picking the right filter. Does this filter look good? What about this filter? Oh, what about this? Oh, sepia, oh. You know what it means for you? It might mean that you need to disable Facebook because some of you, are so you know, politically minded on Facebook that you need to get off anyway. Stop watching the news, but whatever. But maybe that's it, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I could live without Facebook. Yes, you can, I promise. I promise, and Instagram, and all these other things. And I know it's hard to disable. It's very difficult, actually. By the way, it's hard to find. It's not by accident that it like, takes like seven steps to actually disable your Facebook account. And they ask you like five times, are you sure you wanna do this? Are you sure? And then Mark Zuckerberg shows up at your house and he says, are you sure you wanna do this? Right? I mean, they don't want you off. And they know what you're doing. They're tracking you, right? That's why, at the, oh, look, I just Googled that earlier. Yes, you did. But maybe that's your repentance. Maybe yours is pride and you just are like, you're always gotta be in charge. You gotta always say your voice. And so repentance for you means you're actually gonna stop being in charge, step off that piece of that board or whatever, and you're gonna go serve in some obscure place where no one knows your name and no one cares. That actually would be great for some of us, right? Maybe it's money, big idol in our culture. And for you, it might mean that you start doing what Christians are supposed to do anyway and give off the top. Some of us just like, oh, what is, what's left at the end? $17.37. Okay, give that to the whatever. No, no. God wants the first part. Look, we don't want your money. We don't even ask for your money as a church. So this has nothing to do with our budget or whatever. But if you've got money issues, one of the best ways you can do to fight that in repentance is to give it away. It's to cut up the credit cards, right? To be generous. Maybe it's a work issue. Maybe you're working 60, 70 hours a week. You're volunteering way too much overtime. You haven't been to worship with your family in months. You can't even get into a community group because you don't have another minute because you're always taking that, yeah, we'll take overtime, we'll take overtime. And, and I, I get that some of us have to work Sundays and we got all sorts of people, different careers. I get that. But if your career forces you to never be with the people of God, then I'd start praying for a, maybe a new company that would, right? 
then just trust God with that. Maybe it's you lied, then it means you gotta go fix that and tell the truth. Maybe you're holding a grudge, that means you're gonna have to forgive that person. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's your ex-employer. I don't know. Maybe you're the one that needs to go ahead and forgive. There has to be an action point. Repentance is an action thing, right? And so you gotta ask, where are you on this scale and what's going on? Do you need to move in that way today, right? Because when you do, repentance moves the hand of God and there's salvation. In this case, judges. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. He's, he's looking for an opportunity to show grace. You often hear, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is not a God of grace. God of the New Testament is a God of grace. Hooey. The God of the Old and the New is the same. And there's grace and mercy and pity all throughout all of Scripture. And here's a great example of it. That he moves and he saves them, even though he knows they're going second verse, same as the first. Uh, they're going right back in. That's the nature of God. That's what he does. That's who he is, right? So where are you at in the cycle? Let me give you one more. It's not on the cycle, but I think it's important for us, right? Because here's what happens, and it happens to me. I do it all the time. I'll fall into some deal. Got the consequences because because God just brings natural consequences sometimes or whatever. I'll ask God, oh, God, please forgive me, blah blah blah, and God makes it and God makes it right. He fixes it. It's good, and then I forget. I just kind of fall right back in. Right? That's what happens, right? I mean, some of you, you train right. You got a mess. God came in. He moved in. You were Billy Graham for like six weeks there. I mean, we thought you were literally Billy Graham. Right? You were godly, reading your Bible, praying. You're in community. You're doing all these things. You're volunteering. You're blah 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, God fixes that and he redeems that and then you're gone. What happened? So here's the fifth one. I even use an S, stay awake. I could have said stay vigilant, stay sober. I could have used stay anything, right? I just needed an S. But stay awake worked. Here's what I mean. Peter says this, be alert, be sober. Different translations. Be watchful, why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The enemy... Wants you in bondage, church. Okay, Satan can't do anything about the Christian salvation. Once you are saved, once you are born again, the spirit of Christ lives within you. You are redeemed. You are saved forever and ever. You cannot lose your salvation. Not if you're truly born again. But you know what? Satan can make you useless and he can make you miserable and he can keep you in bondage so that you don't impact anybody else. And that's exactly what he wants to do. And you gotta be alert. You gotta be watchful. We want to be like them who, whenever the judge dies, they turn their back. Ehud's going to die, boop. Gideon's going to die, boop. Samson's going to die, boop. They're going to go right back into Groundhog Day. They didn't drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. That's not what we want to be, right? So you got to be alert. That's why you need other people. That's why you need the word. That's why we need all these things, right? And, and look what it says. They didn't drop any of their practices or stubborn ways. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers have not obeyed my voice, I'm no longer going to drive out any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test them. So he's going to leave these people, and, and he lists the people in verses one through six of chapter three. You can read them. The Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites. We're going to see them coming back, back, and back. So I'm going to leave them to test my people to see if they're going to obey. It's a test. Right? Who, who likes, no one likes tests. Anybody like tests? I hate tests. Why do I hate tests? Why do we hate tests? Because tests 
reveal things, right? I mean, physical fitness test reveals that you ain't got off the couch in months, right? Um, you know, when you had to, in Texas, when I lived in Texas, you had to test your car every year for emissions, hated it, right? I was always failing those things. I had to do stuff to my car. I had to pay money. It's revealing. Math tests reveals that you don't know nothing about math, right? That's the point. It's, it's supposed to be uh, revealing. And tests can be failed. And we failed them. Like my, I don't know if your kids are like my kids. My kids come home, I'll be like, so why'd you get a 62 on a physics test? And what's the response? Every time. I'm not kidding. Every time. It's not, I just didn't study. It's everybody failed. <laughs> I actually got the seventh best score in the class. Out of 14 kids, yes, that's great. You're 50%, congratulations. Is that that just my kids? Like, uh, uh, I've never had a kid fail a test and be like, yeah, man, I'm the only one to bomb that bad boy. They're like, every time, oh, everyone failed. Everybody failed, really, everyone failed. I'm glad to hear that. And what we do is we make what? The test is the problem, it's not me. (laughs) The test wanted me to fail. As if the test had its own will. Right? And we, we do that in life. We fail a test. Man, it wasn't my fault. It's God's fault. This is, if God would have done his part, I would have done my part. Bail worship. We're right back to where we started. Right? But, but see, here's the thing. A test can be failed, but a test can be passed. Right? Test can be passed. Math can be passed. Life's test can be passed. There's this great scene in Return of the Jedi. Again, another movie reference, but whatever. Uh, you know, Luke Skywalker's fighting Darth Vader. He cuts off Darth Vader's hand. And then he looks down at his hand and he realizes, oh, man, I don't have a hand. My dad doesn't have a hand. We have that bond. Right? And he's like, man, he throws his lightsaber away, turns to the emperor. He said, you lose. I win. I'm a Jedi. He's like, fine, Jedi. <laughs> Lightning shoots him. Whatever. Right? But he passed the Jedi test. He's a Jedi. Only like four guys in this whole room who are my, co- my co-laborers get me right now. Okay. But, but it's a test passed. We can pass tests. And let me, let me encourage you. Is our God... The kind of God who wants us to fail or pass. I mean, what good teacher that you ever had wanted your kids to fail? No good teacher wants their kids to fail. They'll fail them if they fail, but they don't want them to fail. How much more your heavenly father? He don't want you to fail. He wants you to pass. But he allows things in our lives to see, ultimately, are you going to be faithful he allows these Hittites and Hivites and Perizzites and all these people to say, are you going to follow me even when things are good and bad? And he does that sometimes with us because he wants us around his throne unconditionally. It's not Baal worship. I'll do my part, God. I'll tithe as long as you make sure I can get that whatever. I'll do X and you do Y. He that's, that's not Christianity. Christianity is Jesus is God. Jesus is enough. I'm around his throne. You give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is hard. So let's just not play any prosperity gospel games. Sometimes God is going to heal. Sometimes he is not. Sometimes you're going to lose your job. Sometimes you're going to get a job. Sometimes you're going to lose someone you love. Sometimes you're going to gain someone. And what Jesus is saying is, I am enough in all of that. Are you going to be around my throne? Right? I'm not promising it's going to be easy, but I am promising that I will be enough. I'm not promising it's all going to go super well. I am promising that I will never leave you or forsaken you. 
I ain't going to promise you it's going to be the easiest thing in the world. I am going to promise you that I won the victory, that I rose from the grave, and one day it will be okay. And that might not be for 20, 40, 60, 160, 500 years, but it will happen. That's the test. That's why we need the word, and that's why we need each other, y'all. Right? In the words of Lewis, again, I always love this line about Aslan. When they ask, is he safe? Because he's a lion. He's, of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. That's our God. Is he safe? <laughs> no. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, immutable, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If you were in the throne room of God right now, you would be trembling. Right? But he's good, I tell you. He's good. That's our God. And he's the one who says this. You know, if Samson was enough, we wouldn't need another long-haired hippie strong dude. If Gideon was enough, we wouldn't need a, a, a light-carrying, sword-swinging dude. If Ehud, our, my, one of my favorite, the one we're going to deal with next week, if he was enough, we wouldn't need anybody else. These judges, just human dudes. They were good for a season, but God knew that you needed something more. So he sends his son. And the, the word for judge is mishpat, the Hebrew word. It means deliverer. Jesus is the mishpat. He's the ultimate redeemer and deliverer and warrior. He fought the battle so you wouldn't have to. He won the victory so you wouldn't have to. And now he says, I'm enough. And if you this morning are like, you're trusting in your Southern Christianity, you're trusting in your whatever, or maybe you've made a mess of your life and you feel like nothing can fix this. I don't know about the consequences of what you've done, but I can tell you this, the penalty of what you've done, Jesus offers redemption and he offers hope. And if you don't know him, man, I would love for you to meet him this morning. I'll talk to you. We have some folks in the hallway that would love to pray for you. If you're just in a mess of a time right now and you need counseling. We got pastors, we have men and women on staff that will come alongside you. That's what we do. So don't sit there and hiding in the, in, in the shadows. Just come to the light, right? And let Jesus heal and let Jesus move, right? Let's, we're gonna worship and uh, I'm gonna ask the team to come up and, uh, and lead us. First song is a song that's new to us. It's written by a church up in... Uh, uh, Raleigh Durham called Summit Church. Some of you know J.D. Greer, it's his church. And uh, it's a song that was actually written about the book of Judges, so it's awesome. It fits perfectly. So, but what I want you to do is, you know, maybe you sit, maybe you stand, I don't know, but just listen to the first verse, kind of get the song, but listen to the words, because it's right out of this, and it's right out of where we're at. And wherever you're at on the cycle, and you're on the cycle, I'm on the cycle, right? We're somewhere. Maybe it's to greater extremes. Maybe you're in servitude. Maybe you're, maybe you just come out of it, whatever. Just let this time, we, we do as a church, and if you're new, we, we kind of reflect on the word and we sing some songs. We let the spirit move and whatever is appropriate for you. Maybe it's standing, maybe it's sitting, maybe it's praying, maybe whatever. Just use that time for God the Holy Spirit to move so that we leave and equipped people. Let me pray and we'll worship. Father, I just ask now that your spirit would move. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love. I thank you for Jesus being the, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we, we trust him, we love him. Pray that you would... Lord, help us to follow you well. It's in Christ's name I pray.